I think that that's just a little bit where uh, a lot of us are as a church, um, as, as individuals, and, and just as a community. And so uh, let's just take a look at Acts chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. And I should make an aside here that they're filled with jealousy because uh, the, the apostles are doing all these signs and wonders. They're, they're, they're talking about who Jesus was, and then they're showing who Jesus was through these prayers where like, people get healed, people get delivered, people experience the power of God. Uh, and, you know, po- powerful things are happening. And uh, the, the people who are in power are jealous, right? Uh, the, the, the kind of religious authority uh, is trying to squash this and control it so that they can stay in power. Uh, and so they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new light. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find him there, so they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Uh, on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to, and, and just kind of in between the lines there, kind of wondering, are we going to get killed for not doing our job? Are we going to be punished for allowing these people to escape? That's sort of what is going on there. So, but then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And then Peter, this is great, Peter kind of like loses his cool here a little bit, as if he ever had it. But uh, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Mic drop. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel A teacher of the law who was honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him, and he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the, pre- in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. 
you will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. So they called the apostles in and had them flogged. That is, that they had, had the apostles come in and they just, they just beat them with, like, rods and sticks and things, right? Uh, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching or proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that we would be filled with such grace and with such sincere love for you and for one another and for our neighbors, even the neighbors who we disagree with strongly, that, uh, that just being associated with you and, and having your signature on our lives would be the thing that drives us the most and that shapes us and defines who we are. I ask that you would help us become those people I thank you for the ways that you're already at work in us. And just ask for more, Lord. I know you have more to give. So we just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think uh, this is a kind of an intense story, right? Uh, and you can see how the, the apostles are under pressure, right? As, uh, as David Bowie and, and Freddie Mercury like to sing here. They're, they're, they're under uh, an extreme amount of tension. There, there's, there's a lot going on. And I think that when we experience times of pressure, and I do think that this is something that all people experience at every stage in life, uh, but I think maybe particularly at the stage of life many of us in this church are in, uh, we, we have to start answer, answering the question because it just becomes front and center. What really matters? What's most important? What are we going to give our very limited time and resources to? What, are, what is our life really going to be about, and what are we going to say is most important? Because we just can't do it all. And especially when the pressure is on, when things are not easy, when there's resistance, when there's trouble, when there's toughness, we have to answer what really matters. Not what do we want to believe about ourselves, what do we want to think matters, but what really matters, what is actually important to us. What do we really value and what are we willing to work for and willing to give to and willing to suffer for when the going gets tough? And I think that it's a, a true saying that, that when we look at our checkbook and our calendar, we'll find out what we really value. The way we spend our time and the things that we give towards and the, and the, the things that we literally value with, 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 with the financial resources available to us, those things become clear when we get squeezed. When we get squeezed, what's, what comes out? Is it Jesus? Is it a selfish love for entertainment and comfort? What happens when things are not easy? What comes out? 
The other question that we ask is, how much is it worth? To what degree will, will, we, will we say this thing matters? I mean, how, how committed are we? How willing are we to stick to what we say we believe and what we want to believe when the pressure is on? How much are we going to stick with it? How, how dedicated, how long will we wait? How long will we pray for just a few people to come to the Lord? How long will we hope and, and pray? And how many times will we, will we ask God for healing or will we, will we pray a prayer of command and feel so silly doing it? How many times will we do that before we give up? I think another thing to consider when we look at a passage like this, particularly in our very comfortable existence as 21st American Christians in Springfield, Missouri, uh, is that we really need to resist uh, delusions of grandeur, right? We really need to understand who we are and, and, and recognize there is a hermeneutical gap when we look at a passage of Scripture like this. Uh, we need to, if you will, resist a Messiah complex, okay? We need to not think that everything is about us and that the, my unique suffering is so, you know, so much more than everyone else's and so unfair. I think that we, we saw the fruit of a person with a Messiah complex this weekend uh, trying to prove a point about gun laws walking into a Walmart. Uh, we don't want to have those kinds of fruits. Uh, we don't want that bad fruit in our lives. We don't want to think that uh, there's some kind of a temptation that has seized us that is beyond what is normal to human beings. Like, maybe the devil is attacking us. Actually, he probably is, right? That's, that's kind of his deal, right? But maybe some of the stress in our life is just like normal stress that everybody has to deal with. And maybe we're just at a stage in our lives when life is just difficult and we need to level up and learn how to deal with it. And I think that there's a temptation for us to, to, to make everything so high, you know, everything so important, to make everything so meaningful, to try to identify when there are really significant differences in a story like this that we read in the scripture and our own very comfortable lives. I think that there is an, a temptation to exaggerate the suffering that we experience and the pressure that we experience and start to feel really sorry for ourselves. That's not the way to Jesus. That's not the way to go the distance and to follow the path of the cross of the Messiah. The path of the cross of the Messiah comes from a place of humility it comes from a place of understanding who God is and who we are. It comes from a place of being willing to do whatever it takes, no matter the cost, uh, and no matter uh, if we get recognized for it or not. If we, if we understand uh, our, our humble place in the kingdom as a small, perhaps minor character in a larger story that is really about God. Maybe Maybe a lot of the suffering or the difficulty in our lives is that we just have some character issues that we need to face and overcome. Maybe a lot of it uh, is, is really not so, so tied into these, these grand themes of being a hero or being a unique 
individual. On the other hand, I think we can also fall off the horse the other way. I think we can also uh, become so disconnected from this grander story that God is, is writing in our lives that we can become hopeless and cynical. That we can say, ah, well, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm having a tough day, and yeah, it, doesn't, it just doesn't really matter. My life just doesn't really matter. It's not important. The things that I care about aren't really important. Church isn't really important. You know, that thing that I said, I like, well, you know, come on, I'm just tired. I just want to watch Netflix. I just want just to zone out on, on social media for a little while. You know, prayer, you know, God will be there tomorrow. Prayer isn't that big of a deal. I, you know, ah, the, yeah, the world is, is full of suffering, and, yeah, but I'm not going to do anything about it today. I just want to eat some ice cream. You know, just... This, this attitude of cynicism and hopelessness that is apathetic and completely disconnected from any larger narrative or meaning, uh, that's, also, that's also a way that we can get lost. That's a way we can miss what God wants to do in us. And so what I do think that God is saying to us through this story is a, is a few things. I believe that there's good news for us in this story. The first piece of good news that I think God wants to encourage us with and remind us today is that God provides, right? In the midst of pressure, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of uh, extreme opposition to what's good and right, God shows up. In this story, we see God provides an angel for his, for his people in jail. And I think that we shouldn't, we shouldn't pass over the, pa- the fact that the people are in jail, that God's people are in jail, right? It's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom with, with conflict. We're not going to completely avoid suffering. We follow a crucified Lord. Uh, his throne on earth looks like the cross, all right? And, and if we're going to follow him, then that's the path we're going to walk. That's what we are called to as disciples of Jesus. We are going to suffer if we follow Jesus. If we're not suffering, maybe there's something to examine there. But at the same time, I believe we need to have faith and see in this story that God provides, that God is still a good God. And I just think it's kind of hilarious that the, the Sanhedrin goes through all this work to put the apostles in jail, and then God just springs them. He just breaks them out, and they just go right back to doing what they were doing before. And they don't think to run. They don't, you know, that's not what God had for them to do. God had them to stay and to continue to say what's true, even when it's not popular, even when it's countercultural, even when it rubs those in power and authority, and perhaps even the religious authorities, the wrong way. God provides. God provides an angel to break the people out of jail so they can continue preaching, uh, and God makes a way. Second, I think that it's good for us to remember that God is near and that God is with us. He isn't far off. And he cares about the work that he's ordered us to do. He cares about the things that he's calling us to. God is a God who orders, or, or, sorry, God is a God who pays for what he orders. I believe that when God calls us to do something, he will back us up. Uh, it, you, you see this attitude in, the, in, the, in Meshach uh, and Abednego and um, Shadrach is the other one. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, 36-year-old dad brain working there. You know, they say, you know, either God will deliver us from the flames, or if we die, then he'll raise us to new life. You know, we'll, that, that God is going to get what God deserves and the glory he deserves, and our lives are to be spent 
for him however he sees fit, and he will make it good and right. If we believe and trust in the goodness of God and the closeness of God and the presence of God and know that he has ordered us to do something, even if that thing is difficult, even if that costs us some comfort or some, uh, even, you know, whatever it costs us, then God is going to uh, back us up. And I think that that's important for us to believe, to have that simple kind of faith, to believe that he is with us in the things that he has called us to do. Particularly in the statement of Gamaliel, I think we see some real wisdom. That, you know, if what we're trying to do is of human origin, it will fail. But if the thing that we're called to do is from God, then anyone who resists it will find themselves fighting against God. And that won't go well. We want to be on God's side. We want to be fully in the center of what he's calling us to do. And I don't believe that that means that it'll always be easy or without conflict or without confrontation. But if we find ourselves doing what God has called us to do rather than what pleases ourselves or makes us happy or comfortable, then God will be with us and he will see us through those challenges. I think that's important for us to believe. I think that's what we find in this story. And then finally, and I, I just want to challenge us. Um, I think we're called to trust God. I think that's what we see in this passage. We see a group of people who have seen things that they can't deny. They are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, to his healing power, to the Holy Spirit being poured out, to people being healed, to people being delivered, to angels showing up and breaking them out of jail. They've been formed by an experience with God, and they've seen what he is worth. They've grasped that, you know, this is the thing you sell everything for. This is the pearl of great price. You sell all your other pearls and you buy this one. Or if you find this treasure, if you find this field with a treasure in it, you go and you sell everything you have and you buy that field because the treasure is so great. That that God and his leadership and relationship with him is that foundation that will build a life that doesn't come crashing down when the wind blows. You know, Jesus tells that story of three, you know, some people who build, their, build some, some different houses with different foundations, right? One's of sand and one's, um, and one's of, on a rock, right? And, and that foundation, that rock is trusting in the goodness of God because the wind is going to blow. The, the storms are going to come. Pressure will find us in this life. But when we put our trust and our faith in that rock, when we put our trust and our faith in that immovable mover of everything, when we trust in the Lord, that is a wise investment. And our foundation will stay secure in the midst of trial and difficulty. When they were rejoicing in saying that they were counted worthy of suffering for the name, I don't believe that it was a martyr ambition that they had. I don't believe that they were trying to be famous. I don't believe that they were trying to be superstar Christians. But I think what we see and what's, what's this beautiful irony 
is that in their humility and in their sincere love for Jesus, they were able to identify with the suffering of Jesus. And something about that uh, touched their own hearts. And they said, wow, you know, instead of complaining about this, we're going to find the ways that God is revealed. We're going to find the ways that, that God is forming his own character into our hearts in the midst of this trouble, in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of the squeeze that we're experiencing and the pressure that is piling up. And so I think that God's invitation for us today is to trust him with the things that really matter, with our time, with our financial um, resources, and with the things that we desire, with the things that we want in the deep and dark places in our hearts. That if there are things that we want more than God, then God is inviting us to allow him to challenge those. That God might be inviting us to allow him to, to challenge our notions of comfort, our notions of security, our notions of what we consider, uh, you know, basic. You know, do, do the things that we consider basic, are those actually the things that we need? Or are those luxuries that we've just become so attached to uh, that we're unwilling to consider that God would, allow, would invite us into letting those go. That really, what I'm saying here is that God is the, the, the first priority, and our lives need to reflect that priority. That our schedules and the way we spend our money and the way we spend our time and the things that we want in life need to come from that experience of God's grace and love and need to be oriented around what he's inviting us into. And so, as I've been praying and just looking at the state of our church and what I believe God is calling us into in the future, um, there are going to be some really practical ways to work this out. In the next uh, few weeks, um, I'm going to be meeting with different leaders and, and, and people um, who have influence in our church and who are, who are already giving, who are already serving, and who have already made these commitments through their actions to really serve what God is doing in this community of people. But there are going to be some changes. And here's the thing. When we're in this stage of life that many of us are in, where we have our own schedules and we have our own desires, we have our own things that we want to do, and then we have these other little people that we're responsible for, and they have their schedules and their things that they want to do. And, and part of our calling and responsibility is to help take care of that and to, to facilitate that and to feed that. And then we have a career, maybe, and then we probably have a, we, you know, maybe we have a relationship like a spouse, and we have all these things. And just, you know, these like four or five commitments that we've made in our late teens, early 20s, uh, they, they all start to become very, very taxing, right? <laughs> like, it, it just, it grows to this point where there's just very little margin. There's, and, and a lot of us, I think, are feeling the squeeze of that. We're feeling like we just don't have time. We just don't have the money. We just don't have the space to do the things that we used to do. We can't live the way we used to live. 
We have to live in this stage of life. And I think that as a church, we're feeling this too. I think that uh, with, with just the challenges of being a small and tight-knit community that loves each other, that prioritizes relationship, that, that has a lot of strengths of it, in it, but that is, you know, kind of strapped for volunteer support, we're feeling this squeeze. We're feeling this pressure as a community. How do we meet each other's needs, support each other, build each other up, and grow closer to Christ, and reach out and love effectively to welcome people into that experience? And I think that what we need as a community is we need a little more margin. We need a little more time. And specifically, we need a little more time together in a systematic way that really supports each other and really builds each other up in a way that we can't always do in this gathering because part of the purpose of this gathering is to welcome people who have no experience with this kind of thing into, uh, into this community. And we need, but we need time and we need a space to go deeper and to build each other up in love and to, to have those confrontations, to have those those serious talks to, to get into the nitty-gritty of life in a way that we can't always go as deep in this meeting. And I think that we've, we've seen how uh, important that has been. But the way we've typically done that has been small groups. And small groups are great. I love small groups. But adding that weekly commitment... Uh, or, you know, maybe a couple weekly commitments uh, every week is really hard in this stage of life. It's very difficult to find the time to make that happen. And so what I'm proposing is something that I'm calling the Be the Vineyard. Be the Vineyard. And this is essentially a small group uh, that's going to meet here at the church building on Wednesday nights, starting in September. And this is what it's about. It's for, and who it's for. It's for people who are serving or leading in the church, uh, or who are very close to serving or leading, right? So, uh, and the reason for that is that our time is limited. We need to make the investment uh, in our people who are willing to give and willing to help make this thing go. And it is open to anyone to, to join that movement and to join that effort to, to, to work and to serve to make this thing go. Um, but, uh, but this is for people who are serving and leading in the church. It'll meet Wednesday nights. It'll be here. Uh, we'll start at 6. The church will provide tacos. You don't have to bring any cash. You just show up with your kids, hungry, eat a organic beef and, uh, you know, high vegetable content uh, meal that you can tailor to your paleo diet or your vegetarian diet or your vegan diet or whatever and, and, and eat in community with each other. And then we'll take some time to look at a leadership topic or look maybe at a controversial topic that we wouldn't cover on a Sunday morning, or various uh, just like in-church things that we need to start dealing with and developing if we're going to be a community that is effective at welcoming others in. We need the time and the space to connect with each other, to talk about the nitty-gritty details of our various areas of ministry and what it means to love and serve God at this time in this, in this place, and, and how we're going to do that. And that's going to happen a lot on Wednesday nights, starting in September. 
We'll follow a semester schedule. Um, my plan is to not meet during December uh, in the ways that we have not had small groups meeting in December just because December gets bonkers. And we want you to go to Christmas parties and develop those relationships with your family and, and friends and those sorts of things. We won't meet in May because, let's face it, you, we weren't going to show up anyway if we, if we said we were meeting, right? May is just nuts. You can't get it done in May. Uh, and, and honestly, we'll probably, when we get to about this time of year, next year, we probably won't meet then either, between August 15th and September 15th, because life has these seasons and these, these times when things are just too busy, and I don't want your life to be all about church. I want it to be all about God. And we need some space, and we need some margin, and so we'll be meeting on that schedule, but I am asking... If you want to see this thing go, if you want to be part of what God is doing in this community, I'm asking you to clear your schedule on Wednesday night. And I'm asking you to show up ready to go, ready to learn, ready to serve, and ready to pray. Ready to put God's word into practice in meaningful and perhaps even costly ways in your personal life when we gather together on Wednesday nights. This is the start of what God is doing in this community. I really believe that. It's part of a three to five year plan that I'll go into much more depth uh, when we, on those Wednesday nights and, and when we talk about why we're doing this. But I'm trying to let people know as soon as possible, please start working on clearing your schedules for Wednesdays um, so that you can be here, so that you can benefit from what we're, we're trying to do in community in encouraging each other and building each other up. We, we just, we need a way to commit to each other and to support each other as a community. And I believe that this is what God is calling us to in this season. So that in the future, we can, we can have a bunch of small groups. In the future, we can have a bunch of different ministries. In the future, we can, we can be more welcoming and we can provide more support to more people because we'll have the, the developed leaders and people who are willing and able and empowered to serve and who have caught the culture of what God is calling us to as a church in order to make a bigger impact on this city than we're currently making. I believe that this is the start. I believe that this is the ignition stage where we pray and where God shows up and where we start to gain some momentum. And so I'm asking you, please, prayerfully consider how you're going to spend your Wednesday nights this year. Would you stand?